0: We're now continuing, kind of ending the biography of Noah as we've been studying it from Genesis 9, 20 through 29 is what you'll be hearing. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. He became, when he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. <clears throat> Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father's nakedness and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it across their shoulders, and then they walked backward and covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned the other way so they would not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan. The lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend the territory of Japheth. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his slave. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. Altogether, Noah lived 950 years, and then he died. Hear the word of the Lord.
1: Well, isn't this a great Christmas passage? (laughs) I think we better pray. Before we start, (laughs) thank you, Lord, that all your word, the whole counsel of God, is powerful and life-changing. And Lord, thank you for the season when we get to celebrate the marvelous gift of your son, that we have life because of you. And Lord, as we look at this passage, teach us what you want us to learn from this. Help us to celebrate who you are and your marvelous gift of love from what we see here. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. My first trip to Israel, I was sitting in our hotel lobby in Jerusalem, and I was chatting, sitting there with an Israeli Jewish shopkeeper who had a little shop in this hotel and a Palestinian bellboy. And we were talking, just kind of chatting, and I asked, you know, how is it for you with so many years of conflict? Here you are working in the same hotel, and, and the Israeli lady, the shopkeeper, said, Oh, it's great. We get along so well. It's just wonderful. It's, it's great that we can just work together and have a good relationship and, and all, and the bellboy's kind of nodding. And, and then the shopkeeper went back to her shop, and the bellboy said... That's not really the way it is. He said, our lives are so hard here as Palestinians. We have no freedoms at all. They control our travel. They control our jobs. They control our pay. They control every aspect of our lives. It's full of difficulty and conflict. And it's interesting as we turn to a passage today that describes events some 5,000 years ago. This passage really gives us the roots of the conflict even going on today in Israel between the Palestinians and the Israelis. In fact, I would suggest to you that the passage today really explains for us why there's conflict all over the world, why we have struggles and difficulty on a personal level to a marital level, relational level, to a national level. So I think it's important we understand what's going on here so we can understand really what's going on all around us in our world today. Let me remind you of the context. We're in the story of Noah. And God looked at mankind before the flood and He said, Every intent of his heart is evil. I will destroy all mankind. I'll get rid of that evil. I'll judge it. I'll accept Noah and his sons, righteous Noah. I will save them and all the species of animals on earth. They'll be in the ark. And he did it. He destroyed all life except what was on the ark. So, what that means is, everybody who's alive today, <laughs> we're all descended from Noah. Every human being were descended from Noah and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And so in a very real sense, by descendants, we are Noah's kids. Everybody alive today is one of Noah's descendants, is one of Noah's kids. But not just physically are we Noah's kids, but spiritually we're Noah's kids today. And I want to point out some characteristics that all of Noah's kids, everyone who's alive today and has ever lived since Noah's day to today, or will live, there are certain common characteristics we see in this passage that help us understand who we are and how to find life in the midst of such a messy, crazy world. So let's look together at some characteristics of Noah's kids. Now, as Cynthia read this story, it is kind of a wild story, isn't it? But I think in this story, what we'll see, the first characteristic of Noah's kids we see is that we're all sinners. Every human that's born, other than Jesus Christ himself, we're sinners. And we need to understand that to understand ourselves. Now, so in this story, Noah gets off the ark and he decides to be a farmer. He plants a vineyard and he ferments it and he makes wine and he gets drunk. And he lays in his tent and uncovers himself. He's naked, lying in his tent. Now, is this a bad thing? Or is it not? Well, wine all through Scripture is seen as a wonderful blessing from God. I know of no place in Scripture that drinking wine is condemned, but every place in Scripture drunkenness is. Whenever it's talked about, drunkenness is seen as wrong, places like Proverbs chapter 23, where there's a description of this, let me just read a few verses, verse 20 and 21. "Do not be with heavy drinkers of wine or with gluttonous eaters of meat. For the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe one with rags." Verse 29: "Who has woe, who has sorrow, who has contentions? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long over wine. Those who go to taste mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. At last it bites like a serpent. Your eyes will see strange things, and your mind will utter perverse things, etc., etc. Clearly, drunkenness is seen as wrong. And especially it's seen as wrong when. It's ever combined with the picture of being naked, uncovered. Uh, For example, let me just read a verse in Habakkuk, the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 15, where he says this, Woe to you who make your neighbors drink, who mix in your venom, even to make them drunk, so as to look on their nakedness. Now there you have people purposely making people drunk to look on their nakedness. But here we see Noah made himself drunk. And I think what we begin to see as we look at this picture, here's Noah, righteous Noah, who was the only one, and he and his family, whom God saved from the flood. And yet Noah's a sinner too. He's a righteous man, but he's righteous, as we saw back in chapter 6, by grace, by God's favor, just like all of us because we're all still sinners. And then you got this strange thing about Ham. So Ham comes in, Noah's youngest son, and looks upon his nakedness and then goes and tells his brothers. And there's judgment that continues, as we've seen, right up to the present day, some 5,000 years later. What did he do that was so bad? Well... Scholars throughout history have said, boy, he must have done something more than just look on his father. must have been more intense than that. So actually Jewish scholars have contemplated ideas and they thought, well, maybe he castrated his father. That's one of the suggestions that the rabbis have said. Another suggestion is that he committed a sexual act against his father. But I think as we look in the context as we see how the other brothers really avoid looking at him, etc., this act of looking isn't so much an act, sexual act, as it is probably has a sexual connotation that he looked on his nakedness with lust and judgment was passed on to generation after generation as a result. And as we think about our world today... You know, you think about how our world is surrounded by looking on nakedness. I mean, everything in our advertising, the, there's appeals to sexuality and the perversions that happen of pornography, etc. There's this, these roots of Noah, of sin in our day. Noah looking for an easy way out, perhaps, from his pain, a way to deal with his own pain so he gets drunk, perhaps. Happens a lot in our day. Looking for some anesthetic, or here you have Ham looking on his father, looking on nakedness, and this sense of looking, uh, appealing to our own lusts, perhaps. And it's a picture of our perversion and our sin today. And but not only that, he takes it and he goes and he gossips to his brothers. Wow! Did you see Dad? Can you believe what he did? And he's supposed to be righteous, and you know we don't know exactly what he said, but there's this hint that he. He went out and he was perhaps mocking and delighting in what had happened to his father. He was gossiping. Now we in our you know, modern American Christianity, we don't make a big deal of gossip. You know, we don't think it's that bad. It's all in the name of prayer that we share about other people's problems and their sins and their struggles. And, but you know, in a place like Romans chapter 1 where it's listing some of the terrible sins of mankind. Gossip is in the list. Verse 29, Being filled with unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, etc., etc. Why does God look as gossip as such a heinous, terrible sin? Because God wants us to protect life, and He also wants us to protect people's reputations. That's one of our callings to protect and build up life and nurture life. And what gossip does is it points out the problems and sins of others and tears them down, destroys their reputations. You see, God takes that kind of gossiping, that kind of mocking, very seriously. And in addition to this, the Bible tells us to honor our father and mother, right? It's one of the Ten Commandments. And yet Ham, what he's doing is he's dishonoring his father. He's pointing out his sin and his problems. So I think as we look at this big picture of what Ham did, of what Noah did, here it is after the flood. You kind of hope life's going to be different now. We got rid of all those sinners. <laughs> Things going to be great. And right away, what do we find out? sin's still here. Sin continues. All of us, as Noah's kids, are continuing to struggle with sin. Sin is not out there in those bad people. It's right here in me, in all of us. I remember when I was a college student, I went to a seminar about some people who lived in Alaska for a while, and I thought, this sounds fascinating. I'm fascinated with life in Alaska and so I wanted to hear this and it was a family who came and they were showing slides and pictures and they said they lived in California and they got so tired of all the perversions and the corruption and the materialism and all of the stuff that we deal with in this life here and they decided they were going to take their kids as far away from all that as they possibly could so their kids wouldn't have to be raised in that kind of world. And so they flew into a lake that was 200 miles from the nearest road and 50 miles from the nearest neighbor. They built their own cabin, hunted their own food. Every once in a while they'd have a supply plane come in, but they lived there for a number of years. And then they moved back to the Bay Area in California and they gave the seminar and they said, you know what we learned? We thought we were going to escape the evil in the world. And then we began to see the same things that were there amongst us. We began to realize that evil is not out there. It's in our hearts. And they could not escape it. That's really, I think, one of the messages here, one of the characteristics we need to understand of all people. No matter how good they may look, is they're sinners. We're all sinners. We're all Noah's kids and we're all sinners like him. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23 says. But secondly, second characteristic of Noah's kids is that we all have power in our words and our deeds. Our words and our deeds really have impact and they really matter. Why do I say that? Well, what you have here is Noah woke up from his wine and... So he said, Cursed be Canaan, etc., etc. He gives a prophecy here. And these are the only recorded words of Noah. We've had several chapters on Noah's life, and these are the only recorded words. But you know, these words, these, this prophecy he states, is something that continues, as I said, right down to present day. They had that kind of power when he cursed Canaan, when he blessed Shem and Japheth. the power of those words continued. And you see what what Ham did, and then his son gets cursed, what Ham did has consequences that have continued right up to the present as well. I think what I get from this is that, you know, we're all sinners, but we also, every human being, is also created in the image of God. And we reflect God to one another. And when God spoke, let there be light, and he created all of creation, let there be animals, let there be male and female, etc., he spoke and everything was created. We can't create through our words like that, but our words have power, tremendous power. We forget that. But I think what he's saying is, you know, when you to your child say, you know what, you're worthless. Some of you have heard words like that. You're never going to amount to anything. I wish you'd never been born. When you hear words like that, when you speak words like that, the wounds go deep and affect a life and sometimes generations to come. But when we say words of blessing, blessed are you. You're a wonderful child. I'm so glad you were born. I'm so glad you're my child. I believe in you. You're Your life is going to be something marvelous. I can't wait to see what God does with your life. When we say words of blessing, it has a marvelous impact as well. You see, we need to understand that our words and our actions matter. And they can have tremendous impact for good or not. And that's true of all human beings, all of Noah's kids. Our words, our actions have power. And I don't know about you, but that's pretty sobering for me. Because I want to make a difference for good in people's lives, not not harm. So that's true of all human beings. We all have power in our words and in our deeds. Our words and deeds matter. Third, characteristic of all of Noah's kids, which includes us, is that we can only find blessing in the line of Shem. Shem. We can only find blessing in the line of Shem. Notice verse 26 and 27. Noah says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. He doesn't bless Shem, right? He blesses the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Shem. And let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. So, Noah blesses the God of Shem. It's a reminder, I think, to all the Semites that are descended. Okay, everybody's descended from these three sons of Noah, right? Shem, Ham, and Japheth. It's a reminder that all the Semites, all the descendants of Shem, if they want to be blessed, they will be blessed in their relationship with the Lord. Now, we know as we read through the Scriptures that the Semites, a descendant of Shem, was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the nation of Israel, they became the chosen people of God in the Old Testament and they were always blessed as long as they walked with God. But when they turned their backs on God, they experienced judgment. You see, that's part of the prophecy of Noah. Blessing comes to the Shemites in the line, as they uh, have their, through their relationship with God, having a strong relationship with God. But notice how the, Japhethites are blessed. How are they blessed? It says by dwelling in the tents of Shem. Let's talk a little bit about who these people are. As you go into chapter 10, it describes 70 nations that descended from these three sons of Noah. The Japhethites went up north into Russia and into Europe and that whole area and expanded that whole direction. You know what that means? We're pretty much all, most of us anyway, Japhethites sitting in this room today. The Hamites, Canaan and others, expanded into what is now Israel, that whole area, and then down south into parts of Arabia and then into Africa and that whole section of the world. All those peoples of that area were descended from Ham. And the Semites expanded over towards Babylon, what is now Iran and Iraq, and further reaches from there. And so all of that area is Semites. And then all the nations spread out from those places. But notice how the Japhethites, that's us, get blessed through dwelling in the tents of Shem, by becoming part of the family of Shem. That there's somebody down the line, some descendant of Shem, who would be the source of blessing, the seed of life for all mankind. And of course, who is that? It's Jesus. That's who we celebrate this Christmas season. That if we want to get blessed, we put our faith, we essentially become Semites. (laughs) We put our faith in Jesus Christ. We dwell in the tents of Shem. And that's God's plan, by trusting in the seed of Shem. We are all pretty much Japhethites dwelling in the tents of Shem if we put our faith in Jesus Christ. But what about the Canaanites and the Hamites? I mean, how do they get blessed? Uh, They get cursed here and it doesn't sound very good for them, does it? (laughs) Well, as you follow the story of the Old Testament, it's very interesting how the line of Shem, God's working through them, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and God chooses them as the godly line, and he's all pointing to bringing Jesus, who is the Semite, <laughs> on to, to bring forgiveness to the whole world. But even in the Old Testament, where God is working primarily through the line of Shem, through the line of Abraham, through the line of Isaac and Jacob, there are people from all the different tribes who get saved. People like Rahab the harlot, Remember in Jericho, she helped the spies and she gets incorporated in the nation of Israel. She is a Canaanite. But because she put her faith in the God of Shem, she's saved. Naaman, for example, he's, he's a Hamite. He's from uh, Assyria, from Damascus, from that area, Amorite area. He puts his faith in the God of Shem and is saved. Jonah preached to the Ninevites. They were Hamites. And there's a big repentance. Uriah the Hittite was one of David's mighty men. He was a Canaanite. And on and on you see hints of how God wants all people to be saved through the line of Shem. But when we get to the New Testament, the door really gets thrown open for all mankind to be saved through Jesus Christ. And I love the story in Matthew chapter 15, verse 21 and following, where Jesus takes a detour. He leaves the Sea of Galilee. He leaves the nation of Israel and goes to Tyre and Sidon, which is Canaanite country. And listen to verse 21 of Matthew 15. Jesus went away from there, withdrew into the region district of Tyre and Sidon, and a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. Jesus says, hey, I, I only came for the people of Israel. You see, Jesus is seeing if she has faith. And the disciples say, get her out of here. You know, she's not an Israelite. Get rid of her, Jesus. And he says, no, I came to feed the people of Israel. Uh, I shouldn't take their bread and feed it to the dogs. I mean, this is pretty strong language he uses. And she says, well, even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall off the table. Here's what he says. "O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. You see, I think Jesus is making a point here through his purposeful contact with this Canaanite woman that in this new age with Jesus' coming, the door is thrown open for everyone to receive the gift and receive the blessing that comes only through the line of Shem for all people. And then you get into the book of Acts and you've got an Ethiopian eunuch who's a Hamite who comes to Christ. You see Peter and Paul who are Semites and they're believers and the other disciples. You've got Cornelius, the Roman centurion, who's a Japhethite who comes to Christ, and so the door is wide open for anyone who will believe. And so the message for all of us today is that if anyone on earth wants blessing, it has to come through the line of Shem. Whether you're a Canaanite, whether you're a Japhethite, whether you're a Hamite, whatever you are, the only way to find life for any person on earth is through faith in Jesus Christ, the one who was sent on that Christmas Day to be born a baby to bring life to all of us. It's true of all people. It's true of all nations. He is the only source of blessing for all mankind. And it's interesting as you look at kind of the uh, geographics right now of how people are being saved and and how lives are being changed and. Um, Because for many, many years, Christianity was seen largely as a Western religion, right? Because so many Japhethites, their tents were enlarged, so many Japhethites came to Christ. But now there's kind of been a swing in these last 20, 30 years where more and more Hamites and more and more Semites are turning back to God. And many, many people are being saved from other groups as well. God's doing something amazing to bring more and more people throughout the world to him. One last characteristic of Noah's kids that I want to point out, and we don't have time to read chapter 10. It's, it's a whole description, and they call it the table of nations, how 70 descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japheth create nations that scatter over the whole world, all known peoples in the world, everyone, descended from Shem, Ham, and Japheth. But as you read through it, it strikes me that all of this is controlled by God. You see, one characteristic of Noah's kids, in other words, all humanity, is that we are all under God's sovereignty. The nations that are mentioned here, Babylon, Assyria, and all the nations in the surrounding area, they're all under God's control. He places nations where he chooses to place them them. God is the God of all nations. Dr. Bruce Waltke says this, all nations are dependent upon their creator and under his sovereignty, whether they acknowledge him as such or not. The theological value of this table of nations is that it affirms Israel as part of one world go- governed by one God. God assigns the nations their territories, and as Paul says in Acts chapter 17, God determined the time set for men and the exact places where they should live. You see, it's a good reminder for us as we read this table where all the nations are placed in their certain places that it's God's choice. He's in control of nations. So as we look at the world today that seems so crazy and there's things going on in Iran and Israel and Afghanistan and Iraq and all over. Sometimes it can seem kind of scary, but what this reminds us of is that all nations are placed by God and He raises them up for His purposes and He wipes them out, judges them according to His purposes as well. Therefore, the real issue is not what country you're in or whatever, even what tribe you're from, or if you're a Semite or a Japhethite or a Hamite, the question is, have you put your faith in the one seed of Shem that was sent, given as a gift, to bring blessing and life to all mankind if they will only believe? That is the real question. You see, we're all descended from Noah and his sons, every one of us, Every one of us. We're all sinners because of that. It's been passed on to us. We can't avoid that. We have the sin problem that destroys life and causes us to be selfish and self-centered and demand our own way and hurt other people as a result. And we have great power made in the image of God through our word and our deed to do great good or great harm. But the only place to become people who can do great good... The only way to live out our full humanity the way God designed us to is to put our faith in the seed of Shem. To become part of the family of Shem. To dwell in the tents of Shem. To become part of the family of God by putting our faith in Jesus Christ, this descendant of Shem who was given as a gift that our sins might be forgiven and that we might receive life forever And become the people of God. Isn't that a wonderful thing? wonderful gift that God offers to us. So this Christmas season, let's really celebrate Jesus as the one way that God has ordained that we might have life and have it to the full. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your great love. Thank you that you loved us enough to not wipe us out like you did those early generations in Noah's day because as we've seen, as we really know our own hearts, Lord, we've got to admit we are no better than them. But thank you, Lord, for protecting us from judgment. Thank you for offering another way through the line of Shem, through Jesus Christ, who came as a baby that Christmas day 2,000 years ago, lived and died so that we might have life. We give you praise and thanks in this Christmas season, Lord. We celebrate you as the giver of life. And Lord, we receive it gratefully and we celebrate you. And we praise you in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.